It was an attack on democracy. It was, it was terrorism. It was an attempt to overthrow a free and fair election in the United States. And it was done so at the behest of the president of the United States. It's crazy it is to say, but all the evidence that has come out since then has only, has only supported that idea to the point where multiple courts have found that Trump engaged in insurrection. And it's important for us to continue to reflect on that day, um, especially in an election year, because it's, it's fundamental to our democracy. The peaceful transfer of power and faith in our electoral institutions, it's the cornerstone of everything. If we don't have that, then nothing else really works. Welcome to Politics is Everything, the podcast of the Center for Politics at the University of Virginia. I'm Kara Ong Whaley. On January 6, 2021, Officer Daniel Hodges responded with Civil Disturbance Unit 42 to the attacks on the U.S. Capitol as Capitol Police units were overrun. Officer Hodges fought with those who assaulted the Capitol on the West Lawn, on the West Terrace, and in the tunnel leading out to the inaugural platform. He sustained many injuries in the process. While fighting in the tunnel, he was crushed by rioters in the west entrance doors of the Capitol and beaten. He returned to full duty within a month and continues to serve as an officer. Not only does he continue to serve as an officer, he also regularly testifies in court cases about January 6th, and he also testified in a case in the Colorado Supreme Court, which recently ruled that Donald Trump is disqualified from the state's 2024 ballot under the Constitution's insurrectionist ban. Former President Donald Trump formally asked the U.S. Supreme Court to reverse that decision on January 3rd. Along with others who defended democracy on January 6, 2021, Officer Hodges received a Congressional Medal, the Presidential Citizens Medal, and the Center for Politics Defenders of Democracy Award. We hope you learn from the conversation and invite you to share your comments by emailing us at goodpolitics at centerforpolitics.org. Officer Hodges, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Now that we are three years out from the January 6, 2021 insurrection, what are your thoughts as we commemorate that day? And why do you think it's important to reflect on it, especially in this presidential election year? Well, my thoughts about that day haven't really changed in the last three years. Um, It was an attack on democracy. It was it was um it was it was terrorism it was an attempt to overthrow a free and fair election in the United States um and it was done so at the behest of the president of the United States it's crazy it is to say but all the evidence that has come out since then has only um has only supported that idea to the point where multiple courts have found that Trump engaged in insurrection um, and it's important for us to continue to reflect on that day, um, especially in an election year, because it's, it's fundamental to our democracy, um, the peaceful transfer of power and faith in our electoral institutions. Uh, it's, it's the cornerstone of everything. If we don't have that, then nothing else really works. Um, if so, and there's a huge portion of the country that thinks that the election was stolen, even though they have no evidence whatsoever to support that claim. 
And they're going to go into this election thinking that the last election was stolen and God knows what they're going to do. So it's important to think about that day and its ramifications and how we got to it and where it took us since, because it's just it's such a touchstone for um, our political future. Hey, Officer Hodges, it's Brandon Williams here, third year government major at UVA. My question for you is, how do you feel about the state of democracy right now in comparison to January 6, 2021? Is it better or is it worse? That's a good question. Um, I think that we're finally starting to see some accountability. I mean, we have been for the uh, the foot soldiers because the uh, the FBI has been just constantly locked, or not constantly, but consistently locking people up since then. They're still making arrests today about um, for the, the people who stormed the Capitol. But um, we're finally starting to see some accountability take shape in our uh, justice system for the higher-ups, the people who really orchestrated the thing. And that's cheering to see. You know, it's... Um, I don't want to um, comment on the merits of the uh, case in Colorado because I, I testified in that and I might go to the Supreme Court, but it's, it's cheering to see that it's being taken seriously, that... Um, that our institutions are functioning or at least have the appearance of functioning in terms of protecting itself from those who would see that, who would see our, um, our institutions, our political institutions fall. Um, so I don't think to answer your question, I don't think a whole lot has changed since then, but we're starting to see exactly how strong our country is and politically or how healthy it is politically. Um, and this, this, uh, this year is going to give us a lot of answers in that regard. And I hope that they're good ones. Hi, Officer Hodges. My name is Ben Olchi. I'm a third year. We're studying political theory here at UVA. Um, I wanted to ask how, since you've been involved in the court hearings for some of the rioters, how have your perceptions of their sentiments and their ideas of what happened that day and why they did those things changed? It's hard to say because now they have quite the, um, the motivation to appear, um, to appear remorseful. They have, um, you know, when, when you're caught and you're, you're with so much evidence against you and you're found guilty and you're looking at, you know, so many years, well, part of the, uh, part of what you do in court is go up and yeah, you can read a statement at your sentencing. And so, uh, Patrick McCoy, the guy who had me pinned against the, uh, doorframe with a shield. He got up and he talked about how sorry he was and how um, how remorseful he was and all that. Uh, and you know, maybe maybe it's true. Maybe it's true. Um, they um, there was one guy who testified to the January sixth committee um, uh, during one of the public hearings, and afterwards he came through the line and shook hands with everybody. Uh, through with with uh, shook hands with me and the other guys who testified, and yeah, he he talked about how it, he was a mistake and how um, how he regrets what he did, but he also he hadn't had his sentencing yet. So and I could when he when he you know, sh took out his hand to shake my hand, I could feel him trying to like pull me in and face me toward the cameras for like a little photo op kind of thing. But I, I, I stayed like this and faced him dead on um, because I wasn't having any of that. 
So maybe, maybe he was making a show for court. Maybe not. Maybe he's really, um, maybe he's genuinely remorseful. In general, I try to believe that people can change, that um, that people can feel remorse for what they did. Because if not, then you know what? What's the point of having this discussion, right? It's just forty-five percent of the country's lost. So I, I try to believe that people can change, but at the same time, uh, you know, you don't want to be a doormat. You don't want to um, be naive. Because there are absolutely people who go in there and talk about how remorseful they are. And then the second the gavel comes down with their sentencing, they walk out of the courtroom and talk about, hey, Trump won, I don't regret anything. So it's, it's hard to say. I want to believe that people can change, and I try to give them that opportunity. But um, I don't let, I don't let that um, get in the way of their sentencing. This is kind of just post-January 6th. Do you think? your motivations as a DC police officer have changed? Like why you do the job that you do? Um, no, not really. Um, like my day to day hasn't changed at all. I, um, I'm still in patrol in the fourth district where we get activated, so to speak, for first amendment assembly still. And that hasn't changed for me. You know, I fully support everybody's right to engage in their uh, right to assemble and freedom of speech and all that. And if it becomes riotous or illegal, then I'll do what I got to do to control it. But the day to day, I'm still out there just taking 911 calls and driving to people's houses and apartments and trying to solve their problems. So that's that's really the, the reality for me is it's I'm still police for the police work, not for um, any big fancy uh, cause or anything like that. Do you in your role as a D.C. police officer? How do you um, believe you've been trained or how do you see the line between First Amendment right and a riot? And where does that line begin to change? The declaring something a riot is, again, above my pay grade. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, um, I don't make that determination, but uh, everybody gets trained in what's called CDU, Civil Disturbance Unit Tactics. So we go to, um, in the academy, you go to the uh, SOD, Special Operations Division, where they got the... Uh, the old pros at CDU stuff and they teach you formations and how to, um, how to move as a unit and how to don your equipment and use it and just stuff like that. Um, but I mean, there, there is a lot of training, but it's when it gets to the point, like you saw on January 6th, it's not really about training anymore. It's about heart, just like being in the fight and not giving up until you reinforcements get there you get overrun because um you know no amount of formations or training is gonna really take save you from that when it becomes violent um there's a difference but then you there's a difference between like one bad actor in the group becoming violent or like everybody being clear that everyone has illegal intentions or criminal intentions um but uh, that's the safe answer is I, I can't make that determination. That's that's something that the commander on scene determines, and then we we go from there. Can I ask a follow-up related to Ben's question? How did what happened on January 6th differ from the protests in 2020 and any other demonstration you've been called in to police with the civil, uh, with the civil disturbance unit? I see that a lot, especially online. People, when I, when I, you know, post something online on Twitter, people are like, well, what about the 2020 riots? And I say, 
I was there too. I'm I'm literally one of the few police officers in the country. You can say I will police the 2020 riots and January 6th. Um, so yeah, I know what what it was like, and they are not the same. Um, to start the uh, 2020 protests slash riots took place over you know the better part of a year. So that you had lots of groups coming and going um, with motivate different motivations, organizations, um, tactics, and so it wasn't just a single day and a single group where that happened. Um, again, majority of the time, twenty twenty um, protests were peaceful. There was violence, um, and I'm in no way discount that. But it wasn't, again, because it took place over so much time with so many different people. You can't compare the violence that happened on the 6th to the whole year of 2020 and find so many similarities. And then in 2020, when it did become violent, they, the aim of their violence was, the violence was like, um, the, the end, the violence was, what am I trying to say? The violence was the goal in and of itself. Whereas on the sixth, the violence was a means to an end. When groups became violent in 2020, they, you know, they threw, they threw stuff at us. They threw bricks and bottles and, um, there was, they set things on fire, but they didn't target a specific government building. They didn't target a specific government function. They didn't target specific politicians they weren't organized or bolstered by specific politicians they um when they were confronted with defensive tactics they retreated these are all things that are completely untrue about what happened on the 6th when the uh, insurrectionists were confronted with defensive tactics it just emboldened them or they withstood it and then they continued forward in 2020 when we used you know um, OC spray, CS gas, which is pepper spray or tear gas, it was effective. It dispersed them. There's, I have no love for the uh, people who committed violent acts in 2020, but comparing the two is ridiculous. If you could choose one thing that you could do to improve policing around the, around the country, what would that be? It's hard to say because, um, because of the way policing is. Um, in this country, like in other countries, they don't have the states and they don't have like each individual state has its own individual laws and each individual state has its own agencies and their own culture. Like MPD is modestly one of the most progressive agencies in the country. Um, I don't, I haven't, like, obviously it's, there's thousands of people and I'm, I'm not everywhere all the time, but I haven't seen the, um, the problems at MPD that so, so many other people see with police agencies in the country. So trying to uh, come up with a singular solution or improvement for every agency throughout the entire country is difficult without knowing the, uh, the culture and their, and what, what they are currently, I guess you could say that that would be, it would be a, a unification of training and standards so that when people complain about one agency or one officer in one state, then it's, their complaints can be applicable 
to the rest of the country. Like when um, the death of George Floyd, uh, Chauvin, when he did, when he killed Floyd, people would came to, came to DC and complained about me or talked about me because, you know, I'm a white police officer in a predominantly black city. But that's like, I mean, that's like getting the bad burger at In-N-Out in California and then going to protest at a Wendy's in D.C. It's just, it's, 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 it's conceptually similar, but it's not, it's not, you're not talking to the right people for change. You need to talk to the Minneapolis Police Department and talk to um, the, those politicians there. The, all federal officers get trained at... Um, a local federal agency because they all follow the same laws. I mean, obviously, I don't think we're going to convince anyone to abandon the 50 states for a total federalist society, but something similar would create a lot more unity in policing and make changes um, a lot more, um, have a lot more effective throughout the country rather than very piecemeal as it would be from agency to agency. Hi, Danny. This is John Liebengood. I'm Howie Liebengood's brother and Serena's brother-in-law. Uh, you mentioned that you had had some trouble sleeping, and I was wondering if any of that was tied to your experiences on January 6th. No. Um, I've been very fortunate, both physically and mentally, uh, with regards to January 6th. Um, I didn't suffer any permanent injuries that I know of, and I'm generally okay talking about it. It's only caught up to me a few times. So, um, yeah, it, sometimes it just catches you off guard and I get, you know, I, I get, uh, emotional, but other than that, I'm, I'm pretty okay. Uh, and I, I'm grateful for that. My, uh, my, my weird sleeping habits are long, long predates January 6th. Following up on John's question, if I may, you've been willing to speak out and, and to testify, and as a result, you have withstood ongoing threats to your personal well-being. What are the calculations you've made in being willing to both speak out and testify? And I wonder if you could then also talk about what it's like for others who've been impacted and you know, why they might not be willing to also sort of take the risks that you've taken. Well, for me personally, it was, it was, I never even thought otherwise about not testifying or not speaking out whenever I could. It's just, it's the right thing to do. I feel, um, as a living primary source for one of the, um, most consequential days in our recent history, I feel an obligation to speak truthfully and publicly about what happened, especially when there's so much mis misinformation about what happened that day. And especially because, as you know, it's an election year and it's still a hot topic. Uh, it's important to let the people know what actually happened. Um, I know that, you know, my colleagues who all testified with me felt the same way. Um, and I know that they have suffered in many ways because of it. Um, I've, again, I've been very fortunate. It's, it's hard for other officers because they got families and they, uh, they, they all respond to it differently. I know an officer who doesn't testify in court anymore for January 6 cases because he's gotten so many threats. Um, it's, it's hard and 
I it's it, I can't really blame people who don't want to testify or speak out because it's it's a risk, and you have to look you have to consider make other considerations. But at the same time, uh, I would never I would never stop if I think that speaking out anymore is going to move the needle a little bit. Then I'll do it. Officer Hodges, thank you so much for sharing your insights and experiences with us today. We are incredibly honored and grateful. And more importantly, thank you for defending democracy on January 6th, as well as your ongoing service to the country. We are truly indebted to you and countless others, and we can only promise to continue to learn and do what we can to ensure that what happened on January 6th doesn't happen again. Of course. Hi, podcast listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Politics is Everything. Editing and production was done by me, Kara Ong Weiwei. You can learn more about the Center for Politics and its work to strengthen democracy on our website at centerforpolitics.org. You can also engage with us on social media at center number four politics. We welcome your suggestions and questions for future episodes. Thanks so much for tuning in. Until next time. This podcast is part of the Democracy Group.